Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. Zafonzo Davies, treble winner, and you're listening to Ranks FC. Hello and welcome to Ranks FC, your favourite football podcast. My name is Jack Collins and I will be your host today. And I'm joined by Mr. Sam Ty. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. And Mr. Dean Jones. Hello, mate. Been a good weekend of football. We had a, an enjoyable discussion about it on Monday's episode. And we're cracking through into another Champions League week. There's a lot going on, boys. It's, it's all very exciting. And we're going to start with things we love as ever. Um, but before we do, I'm just going to say something I love is Sam wearing a Christmas cardigan in, in October. I can see him on my screen. He's, he's all wrapped up like he's, he's going nowhere for the next two months. Delicious. I mean, I, I literally am going nowhere for the next two months, buddy. But uh, it's look, it's 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 I'd say it's winter, winter themed. It's it's not. It hasn't got Santa on it. But it's got like a Christmas pattern. I think it's okay. As yeah. soon as where you look at the temperature, the, the weather outside the temperature. This this this. We need to start talking about cardigan season. You look like my nan. Um. All right, Dean. <laughs> something that something that you've loved. What we what are we starting with this week. Jack, I just love football stories. I love transfer stories. I love manager stories. And I'm missing it. You know, I'm missing not being part of it all. So I've got stuck back in there this week because there's been a bit of chat about Pep Guardiola. And look, Pep Guardiola's future at Man City is going to become a talking point, a big storyline in this season. It already is becoming a talking point on the back of Man City's start to the season, to be honest. Um, but whether he stays or goes, it's going to have a huge impact on so many other parts of what's going on at Man City right now. Now, obviously, um, they will need to know if he's not staying, which manager comes in next. They'll need to know how uh, this uncertainty is going to affect contract talks for players like Kevin De Bruyne, who they want to start speaking about his long-term future. Um, It will also affect how they speak to um, agents about signings for January, signings for the summer. So I believe that City will want to know Pep's stance probably by the start of 2021, to be honest. And they're not panicking about it right now, from what I hear, because they do still think that Pep might stay. They really do want him to stay. Um, But they need to get a clearer vision of what's going to be happening, because the last thing Man City need is to be getting to January, and every single press conference is just driven on, Pep, are you staying? Are you going? Why haven't you signed yet? It doesn't help them at all. So how many bosses are there also that, couldn't really take this job. I think that's what's going to come into the vision line as well. Um, This isn't going to be a job that you can just apply for. I think that Man City's board are going to have a shortlist already of people that they believe are capable of taking this job. Personally, um, I would have Nagelsmann on that list. I think Pochettino will be on that list. I actually think Brendan Rodgers will be on that list as well. I was going to say it is. I think Brendan Rodgers will will be somebody that Man City seriously consider. And I think that we are heading towards a year in which Brendan Rodgers is going to have options beyond Leicester City to make that step up again and see if he can push on at the very highest level. But look, let's wait and see what happens. Um, Pep Guardiola ultimately will make this decision. Um, So let's see what he decides. Does he continue at Man City or not? Dean, is there a case of this being a burnout again? You know, we saw at Barcelona, we saw at Bayern, he, you know, he looks for this kind of sabbatical period where he, he gets some time off to kind of recharge the batteries and stuff. We're not looking at Pep walking into another role here. If he does leave Man City, it will be that kind of let's take a breather, let's take a break and, and see what happens next and see what opens up afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. I think I wrote actually uh, on a, for our patrons that, before the weekend to look out for this, look out for Pep's situation and that there were already murmurings from a few people at Man City that they believe that if he does leave, then it will be to take a sabbatical. Um, and I think that it makes sense. He's had a really, really um, tough year, not just in terms of football, but personally as well. His mum died. You know, it has been really difficult. Obviously, everybody's had a, a tough 2020, but Pep as much so, probably more so than anybody else. Um, so you have to consider the outside influences from beyond football that these people have to consider. And we saw Pep took a sabbatical before. 
And that was in a job that wasn't probably as gruelling as this, wasn't as taxing as this, wasn't as high profile as this even. Um, and of course, Man City is the longest job he's ever had. So he probably will want to broke. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if someone does take over this role, it's going to be following in the footsteps of Pep, which is, you know, no, no mean feat, shall we say. Nantai, who, uh, who would you be putting in charge? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I can continue. I'm still reeling from the first comment and you got a second knife in and dug it in. <laughs> oh, man. Following in the footsteps of Pep is oh, it's, it's horrendous, isn't it? I mean, what have clubs done in the past? They've, they've often gone for a completely different angle, haven't they? They've gone for someone less intense. Let's take... Bayern Munich is the example where they, they went from, was it Guardiola to Carlo Ancelotti? Um, and they went for someone who was much more relaxed and, that, and, and, and brought, brought about a much, a much more different atmosphere to training, to tactics, actually probably to Bayern's detriment in the end, let's be honest with you. But for about a year, they really enjoyed being free of Pep's automatisms and intensity. So um, maybe they go somewhere slightly different like that. But one of the names that, or two of the names actually that Dean suggested, Pochettino and Nagelsmann, um, one of those definitely feels big enough for the job, which is Pochettino. Nagelsmann, maybe grand scheme, doesn't but he probably is the best fit so it's quite an interesting one there and I think no matter where you look City are going to have to take quite a big risk I don't think there's an answer which is like clearly this is the one that they should do this is the easiest selection this is the one that comes with very little risk and lots of upside this I think one of the main reasons they as as Dean has intimated one of the main reasons they don't they they want him to stay is because they feel, probably feel a bit paralysed as to where to go next. And I understand that. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. I mean, about a year ago, on when before Leicester had their season last year, I suggested that Barcelona could do a whole lot worse than employing Brendan Rodgers for that role. Uh, and now he's being talked about in his big leagues. I don't want to say called it, but called it. Um, <laughs> and it is like, it's one of those things where I think Brendan's having this kind of moment himself. And before the Arsenal game, I think there were questions about about Brendan Rodgers and there have been. Leicester have been a little bit stunted this season, but actually I think the, the Arsenal game was a was a bit of a masterclass from, from Brendan Rodgers because you look at what he did and he kept Leicester close, close, close. He knew he could only bring on 30 minutes of Jamie Vardy and he kept them absolutely compact for 60 minutes. And then Vardy came on, let them expand and, and they won the game. And it, it really was one of those where you watched it and you were like, yeah, Brendan's got that absolutely spot on. And I think more often than not, he does. He feels like he's ready for another crack at the big time. And I think he's, you know, almost on that precipice with Leicester. But if he were to get the City job, that would be, you know, something, something I think very, very special for him. And also a testament to the work he's done both at Leicester and at Celtic, where he was, you know, incredible. And so, Sam, I mean, what have you loved this weekend? Let's move things onwards. I am absolutely loving... Angelino coming to life at RB Leipzig. I am loving the fact that he has scored four goals in his last two games, either from wing back or from the wing. And the fact that if you listen to this on release day, so Wednesday, he returns to Manchester tonight to play against Manchester United. Uh, for those of you that don't really know Angelino that well or, or him at all, we can wind it back a little bit. It was only last summer that he joined Man City from PSV. He'd been in their academy. So he was like a he had like homegrown uh, he was registered as homegrown and he'd been in the sister before. They were able to buy him back on a buyback clause. It was quite cheap, made quite a lot of sense because Mendy was has been perennially injured the entire time. But they didn't really give him much of a chance, did they? I, I'd argue that they, they basically mismanaged him. Um, he never really got given a run of games. Uh, I feel like he only ever got thrown in really tough situations. Like he wouldn't play for a month and then, oh, you're playing Liverpool tomorrow. And he's like, what? Seriously? What? I have to play it? Okay. And then, oh, you get a month out the side and bang, in for Burnley. It's like, I'm still adapting to the new league. You want, to, want me to go and play against Burnley? It's like, would you like to go and get beaten up today, Angelino? So he'll duck in, go cold, come out, play poorly. And he got mocked for this, actually, on Instagram over the summer. One of the Man City fans commented to say that his performances weren't great. And he replied, great banter, can't perform playing one game a month. Now, in that January, in January, he joined Leipzig on loan and he was great, wasn't he? Played a lot. Impressed a lot, ended up playing Champions League round of 16, quarterfinal, semi-final, was great in two of those games. And this season he's returned on loan. And right now he looks like Man City's best left back, doesn't he? But he doesn't play for Man City right now because he's back on loan at Leipzig. And he's dominating. Like he's 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 a he's a bundle of energy pushing down that left-hand side. He's playing obviously a bit further forward at the moment as a wing back or a or a winger. And he's, he attacks space really well. His low driven cross is, is really, really good. And he excels at creating space to move into. And apparently he's also a finisher because one yeah. of the goals that he scored recently 
in the Champions League was like a, he sort of soared into the box, took down the long ball off and Kunku swiveled on it and finished. It was beautiful. He's playing so instinctively. So I feel like we're only just getting started with the Angelino redemption story. We might be on like page two or three, but it's a hell of a book so far. I'm hooked and I'm rooting for him because I really like him as a player. And I like it when players who I feel have probably given a bit of a short shrift at times, come back and have something to say about it and prove, prove people wrong with their performances. And that's what we're seeing from him right now. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I'm really intrigued that you just said a load-driven cross there because you're absolutely spot on. But that's exactly what Ben Mendy was literally almost famous for. That was what he was brought in for, the amount of assists he got from those load-driven crosses. And now Anelino is is the man absolutely running those over at Leipzig. And it does make you think about, and you know, we saw yesterday Pep talking about Ben Mendy and he was like, oh, he was brilliant at Monaco, you know, excellent at Marseille. We hope that he's going to, He's going to reignite that form and, and really start to settle. I was like, Ben Mandy's been there for three years. If he hasn't started to settle yet, like when is he going to start to settle? And, and I know he's had injury problems and I'm not holding any of those things against Ben Mendy because he's a wonderful addition to the league on and off the pitch. And he is, you know, it just seems like a brilliant geezer. But, you know, you can't be not settled after three years. You have to you have to either make your mark or, you know, free up the space for someone else to do. And and, and Jao Cancelo has actually done all right there at left back, which is, this is impressive and he, he's done fine. But having a natural left-sided player there in Angelino, I think Pep probably is looking at that and going, could probably have done with him really this season. Done, could yeah. maybe have done with him. I mean, Angelino, like fair play if he wants to get out, get out of there for the season and really stake his claim. And he did say recently that he basically returned specifically to work with Nagelsmann. Um, he said, to, I said, I'll be honest. He's, he said he got an offer from Barca in the summer, but he wanted to go back to Leipzig and work with Nagelsmann. He's obviously just, you know, trying to figure out what the best thing is for his career right now. So he's had to literally revive his own career. But recently he's got into the Spain setup. So that yeah. tells you that he's made the right steps. And I'm pleased for him because he's, he's great. Absolutely. Right, let's move on from City's left-back dilemmas. Um, and I'm going to go with something I love, which is basically just Roma at the moment. And now we got a question into our in our Patreon post box last week from Alexander Val, who was talking about Roma's new owner, Dan Friedkin, who said he's going to transform them into one of the greatest names in world football again. And I think... There's a lot of us, especially kind of, of of my age group, who remember Roma as basically Totti's team, right? And and everyone had this soft spot for Roma because everybody loved Francesco Totti. And, and it's as simple as that. And I remember one of the first ever European jerseys I ever owned was a Totti 10 Roma shirt. And it, it really does like have a kind of special mythical part of, of my childhood. And especially the fact that Roma obviously won. I don't really remember them winning. The, the league but obviously we're kind of in and around the big boys for, for a large swathes of the kind of mid 2000s shall we say and you look at that and you think okay I would love to see Roma back at this table it's a bit like we talk about Milan right we talk about Milan and we're always like um I remember Milan as a European giant it's great to see them winning again and yesterday's game between Roma and Milan incidentally uh, was a phenomenal watch and I know Dean you're you're enjoying it as well three all um some questionable refereeing decisions but end-to-end an absolute anarchy uh, at points and probably the most enjoyable game of the weekend if I'm honest and not one that we picked in the spotlight but uh, but one that we definitely were all were a little bit glued to last night and I was thinking about this promise to make Roma one of the greatest names in world football again and I was looking at the start of their season and I'm thinking you know what? He's got a decent base to work with here because aside from the fact that they lost the game 3-0 to Verona because they fielded an ineligible player in the most melanish thing that had happened that week in that they <laughs> literally did not register their player because they forgot he was now over the age of 21 and had a birthday in the summer. But Roma, four wins and three draws from their first seven, plus the you know weird loss, including a Champions League, two of the draws were against Juventus and Milan. This is a side that seems to be going places and this Fonseca back three, that he's kind of got into place. Marash Kambula, who I, I named as my breakout star for Serie A this season, kind of at the heart of this now. And he, he really is starting to grow into that role. And I'm just really excited about the way Roma are playing, the whole kind of thing around the club. And one of the parts of this question was, how do Roma make that step up to becoming a big, big club again? And my answer is, 
I think they're already on the way. I don't think they need a complete revamp. I don't need think they need a complete rehabilitation in the way that people were talking about when Newcastle were going to be taken over and we were talking about the whole grand scheme of what they'd need to do to get themselves into the echelons of, of these big clubs. I don't think Roma need to do that. I think Roma are already on that path. One of the things they are looking at doing quite quickly is getting in a sporting director, a new one. Um, Lewis Campos talked about, Ralph Rangnick talked about. Obviously, that is a good idea in modern football. We've seen clubs that like don't go in that direction, Man United, for example. Um, and you can just make transfer decisions on not um, a consistent basis that and quite quickly your plan unravels uh, uh, season by season. So I think bringing in somebody of that ilk will be a great step forward. And then the other thing I would really say going forward is replacing Dzeko. Um, I think that that's going to be the, the most difficult thing, really, because you've got to be signing that elite striker. Um, Dzeko looked like he, he wouldn't even be there this season, so you've got to imagine he won't be there beyond this season. Um, and actually, the only times I've watched Roma this season, Veratut's been uh, <laughs> scoring all the goals, not, not Dzeko. Um, I've only watched him twice, to be fair. Um, but look, let's see what they do in that sense. They're, they're the two areas for me that I'll be watching most closely. It's the forward line. It's it's not only the the lack of elite quality and they're like, obviously, huge respect to Jacko. I think he's great, but he's now 35 or something like that. And it's going to, you know, he's 34, sorry. Um, and he's, uh, he's not going to be around forever. He nearly wasn't around this season, as Dean said. But it's also the rest of it. Like, it's, it's kind of like a Premier League rejects forward line right now with Zaniolo injured. It's like Pedro and Mkhitaryan. And then the drop off to that is like young and unproven players as well, like Carlos Perez. So I would imagine it's just, you're right. I think the foundations are more or less there because Pellegrini's great. Veratu's good. Zaniolo, when he's back, is good. The system's good. Kambula's great. I'm not going to give you him as a breakout star, by the way, because he broke out last season for Hellas Verona. But um, I think I think the forward line, it's just like it's those it's those inverted wingers. It's those it's those 30, 40 million pounds difference makers up front and the striker. And yeah, they're well on the way because if Juve's decline continues, Dino, there'll be a spot on the table open. I'm not a Juve fan, by the way. Um, we keep talking about Juve. I just no, but think... you're on the payroll. Yes, I mean, I'm correct in saying Juve are going to win the league this year. That's all I'm saying. Like, yeah, if, if I was been... to choose a team to win the league, obviously I'm choosing Milan. Of course, yeah. It's it's just a weird one. Like, I think one of the interesting things is obviously Justin Kluivert gone out on loan to Leipzig. And, you know, we'll, we'll feature there and be part of that one. If he comes back from that loan, a better player, having worked with Nagelsmann and the like, and, and returning to this Roma side, he's someone that could come in and make a difference. And actually, I think that's a very good bit of business. You know, obviously, we spoke to Justin on the show. We, he seems to be loving his time in Roma. Uh, and he did seem to, to enjoy himself, even though he wasn't getting the game time he perhaps was looking for. But if he comes back off this loan with a bit more under his belt and having you know progressed as a player, then there's a player there to step into the likes of Pedro's shoes or the likes of Mkhitaryan's shoes when they happen. And I mean, something that I've always been intrigued by is the idea that Zaniolo could be a nine. And it's been more talked about with the Italian team when, and their kind of lack of dynamism through the middle. But if Zaniolo can, he's, he has the profile to play as a number nine. And if he does make that transition, you know, he could be the next, I, I think he could be the next person to wear the 10 shirt at Roma. That, you know, and no one has taken it since Totti retired. But then they need someone to, you know, almost take that mantle. It needs someone to fill that mythical void that still seems to be there. And Edin Dzeko has carried them through the, the post-Totti years in, in, in the way that he has just spearheaded that line. But ultimately, when someone does take that shirt again, there's going to be a lot of historical pressure on their shoulders, mythical pressure on their shoulders. But I do think that Nicolo Zaniolo could be that player if if these injuries start letting up because it yeah, has well, been a brutal, brutal period for him. Tough. I mean, there will be lots of pressure, mate, if you keep talking about it. That's what heaps on the pressure. I mean, look, we're, we're, if I talk about it or not, I guarantee you, I guarantee there'll be more pressure on that shirt than just from my mouth. But uh, but alas, no, it's all on you. OK, it's all on me. Right. We'll move into the big ranking next. And we've got a fun one for you this week. Sam is going to be ranking all 20 official Premier League captains on their talent. I'm looking forward to this one. See you after the break. <laughs> Welcome back to Ranks FC. I am still joined by Mr. Dean Jones, the transfer guru. Still here, Jackson. Still here. And of course, the rank god, Mr. Sam Tai, about to do what he does best. I am I'm present, I'm primed, and I'm ready to rank, sir. Let's go. Let's rank okay. some stuff. Okay, so this ranking was basically handed to us on a platter by one of our patrons uh, in the postbox, Ed Jackson, asked to rank the Premier League captains 1 to 20, or 20 to 1 in our style. 
uh, based on ability, you know, actual, actual, actual like playing ability. So we, we, we spent some time on Monday talking about the importance of captains when we were talking about the effect Sergio Ramos has on Real Madrid. And it's kind of like an emotional thing more than anything else uh, and a, an ability to perform when you have someone there that's important to you. Um, and this is, we're going to take that away. Because obviously captains are captains for a reason. They are leaders of men, but they also have to be footballers. And we're going to judge them exclusively on whether or not they can actually kick a ball properly. Because you'd be surprised. Not all. <laughs> Turns out. I mean, I don't think I'm going to be that surprised. I imagine they can all kick a ball, considering yeah. they are Premier League captains. But uh, okay. we'll, we'll roll into it and see what you got, mate. Okay, so I'm going to st- I'm obviously going to going to flick through the the bottom the bottom order quite quickly here. Uh, I'm going to take the first. Let's go with the bottom five. In twentieth place, <laughs> Wes Morgan. He's still captain of Leicester City. Yeah. Um. He's 36 now. He's played about five Premier League games in the last year. He's more of a symbolic figure than a than a footballer. So he's going to go in at bottom. Um. Sorry, I think that's Wes. that's fair. That's fair. Um. And at 19th is is Billy Sharp. And I love, I love that Billy Sharp is captain of Sheffield United, but he is ultimately that the sixth choice striker at the joint lowest Premier League scoring club. I didn't um, know he was still there. Isn't he the top oh, scorer this year? With one, uh, yeah, I mean, he might be joint <laughs> joint top scorer with one. Um, yeah. I don't think I've seen him on the pitch though. Like, like, he scored sh- against Fulham, D. <laughs> <laughs> he scored I a penalty. I didn't watch it. He scored a penalty against you. He did, it. yeah. Anyway, All right, let's get going. It's important to the team, and I love the story. Um, but in terms, he's he's obviously a bit part player. Um, and now we start to move into well, a couple of yeah, they play a bit more. I've got an 18th. I've got Jake Livermore, uh, captain of West Brom. He's okay. Um, and at 17th, just above the relegation zone, I've got Mark Noble. Ooh. And oh, that's a bit harsh. Yeah. yeah the, what, so I think what's happened here is he's been dropped, and West Ham have got really good. Mm. And I just wonder. Find out recently mm. that he's he's served at West uh, West Ham for exactly the same amount of time as Lionel Messi has been at Barcelona. They are the joint longest serving players in Europe. Right. Okay. That's so, good. Good for good for Noble. I mean, he's obviously he's obviously been an important presence for them. I think they've done. I think Moyes, to be fair, has done quite well to transition away from like transition out of Martin. You can't just take the player out because it leaves a bit of a hole. But he's waited for Declan Rice to take on a much more important kind of leadership role in midfield. And paired him with Suchek, who's just hard as nails. I will make and, the point um, that these are these are current ability levels, right? These aren't what they were yeah. like at their peak. This is like no. what they currently are. This is where they are right now. Okay, I mean, Wes, right. Wes, Wes Morgan would be higher because he's won the he's won the Premier League as a 38 game starter in the in the league. But uh, yeah, Noble is there. And then yeah. just above him to finish off the bottom rung is uh, is Tom Kearney, who I've written handsome, and that's it. He is what? very handsome, to be fair. He also has an absolute rocket of a left peg. Um, but he just doesn't use it that often. Uh, look, if Fulham finished 16th, I'd be delighted. So I'm actually going to take this. <laughs> nice. That's, that that actually is unfortunately not how it works. Oh, but um, but he I is a lovely footballer, Tom. He's he is. Not, I, I he's think not this the, is quite actually the footballer I thought he was going to be at this stage. But he's still a nice footballer. I think if we're just talking technically technical ability, yeah. this might end up being a bit low, Sam, because like actually technically Tom Kenny is brilliant. He just doesn't run or mark players. Yeah, that's. I think that was his drawback when I started uh, started compiling the list. It's not. This is not based on technical ability. This is how good are you at football? And Kenny, he is a lovely player, but that's that's. You can say that in both a positive way and a bit of a negative way at times as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, let's keep going. And I mean, I'm sure we're going to have some alterations to this yeah, list at some point. So let's keep rolling for now. Okay. Well, just the next set is uh, is Liam Cooper in 15th of captain of Leeds United centre-back. He's pretty good, I'd say. And just above him is fellow centre-back Jamal Lachelles at Newcastle. Just above him, to complete a very workmanlike mini section, is Luka Milivojevic, captain of Crystal Palace, who is actually hasn't really featured that much this season. But I think that must be to do with injury or something because he's pretty good. Um, yeah. And I've been a bit, a bit surprised at how little he's been used. Good at pens. Ha- yeah, he's good at dead balls, but I think that Palace fans have started to turn on Luka Milivojevic a little bit because he's actually really slow, mm. slows the game down a lot, commits quite a lot of fouls, and basically is only in for his dead ball ability at times. And and I think that the reason we haven't seen much of him this year is because people have started to work that out. Um, now, if you'd done this two years ago, I think I would have agreed with you, but I actually think Milivojevic should probably be quite a lot lower. Okay, let's put a little star next to his name. This is a. This could be. I also a... would have Cooper ahead of Lachelles for what it's worth. 
Um, I think Liam Cooper is a very, very good footballer. And I think the fact that Leeds have struggled when he's not been in the side is testament to the fact that he is actually crucial, not only on an, you know, a, a spiritual level in that Ramos-esque kind of thing, but actually technically bringing the ball out, playing this Bielsa system. He's a very, very good footballer. I'd have Liam Cooper higher than that, Sam. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't, yeah. So, I mean, they have struggled a bit, but they also at times just really just haven't struggled at all. Like Leeds can change the personnel in their team and they can even swap, they can keep the same back four and swap all the players around to different positions and and the system the system triumphs at times so I do think he's a good player I just like watched them beat Villa 3-0 on Friday without Liam Cooper and I was like oh okay so up next is Ben Mee captain of Burnley I've written solid comma good I don't really have anything else to say about Ben Mee I think he's solid and good mm. that about right yeah, yeah I guess most I guess. Burnley players isn't it yeah kind of and in at 11th so just cutting off just outside the top 10 is Harry Maguire who has probably been worse than everybody on this list over the last month. But overall, and you have to be fair to him, like overall, he's a solid enough player. He's better than Ben Mee, I think, but he's not quite as good as the top 10. You may think think that's a bit low for McGuire, but you know I have never really been that hot on him. No, I I don't really. I um, I, I think you've got to, again, take out form a little bit, but, but I think, yeah, yeah, maybe just about right, to be honest. He's, he's a good player. Solid. Okay. He adds more off the pitch than on the pitch, you would say. And and Dean's spoken about this at length before about how important he's been to that kind of trying to glue that Man United changing room together. But but on the pitch, yeah, I mean, scores headers from corners, and it's about it, really, isn't it? A little bit, a little bit, yeah. So into the top ten, and you'd think that the standard, because I'm sure you've noticed by now that the standard actually just isn't. It's not that high, is it? It's very much not the case that Premier League captains are the club's best players. I'm far from it, to be to be completely honest. As actually, when I compiled this list, I was a little bit disheartened <laughs> at the uh, at the playing standard of some of these captains, and it probably speaks to everything we've been saying about how they they're actually important in other ways. But I'm going to start in at number ten here, so top ten. And it's uh, Hammers Ward-Prowse at Southampton. Uh-huh. Uh, hugely improved over the last couple of years. Has Used to be like quite a good set piece taker, but a bit of a... I, I couldn't really describe to you what he did on the pitch in, in open play. Perhaps that's what you'd say about Luka Milivievich, to be honest. Um, but over the last couple of years, he's added a goal-scoring instinct to his, to his game and this bite and this attitude. And he's gone from being described as um, your ideal son-in-law by Claude Puel to someone who habitually winds Wilfred Zahara up to the point where he gets himself sent off every time Southampton play Palace. And uh, Hasan Hüttel's done a really good job of adding something nasty to his game uh, that he really, really needed. Mm. And then just yeah. above him, and this is, this is like, these are really hard players to compare. Like, I've, got, I've gone for Lewis Dunk just above him in ninth place, Brighton captain. And so like, how do you compare Dunk and Ward-Prowse? It's very difficult. Mm. Yeah, no, I think you're fair enough. Um, it, it, it's... It's about right, I think, here, these two players. This is a, a good level. This is a nice place in the league to be, isn't it? You know, you're looking at they're two, two reasonably nice geezers, although, as you say, Walbrowse has added that nasty streak to his game, and I, I'm, I'm all here for it. He's also taken the number eight shirt, which he should have been wearing for the last 10 years, but he hasn't, and, <laughs> and that, that pleased me immensely. I mean, I think what's interesting here about the fact that you've gone dunk at nine is that dunk is two places higher than Harry Maguire, and... That I mean speaks loads to the England setup, right? It is genuinely. Uh, you look at this, this this England setup, and you think, okay, Harry Maguire is a mainstay in this team, but should Lewis Dunk be be being part of it more? And and probably is the answer. Yeah, I mean, Gareth and I, we have some points of difference, don't we? Uh, we, we we don't see eye Plenty. to eye on everything. We think that I think that Jack Grealish should start every game. He doesn't. I don't think Harry Maguire should start every game. He clearly does. So, um, <laughs> I mean, I've written the I've written the emails to the FA. They are ignoring them. Um, they're obviously falling on deaf ears, but here you go. I think Dunk is, is a better is a better defender than Maguire. Uh, I think yeah. Maguire is marginally better than Ben Mee, who is a bit better than Lachelle's, who is a bit better than Cooper. So that's the, when you when you compare the position groups, you can kind of start to rank them properly. But it's when it's when you try to try to compare Lewis Dunk to James Ward Prowse, it's really hard. But yeah. into number eight is another centre back, is Connor Cody, who has been really impressive at Premier League level since he got here. Even uh, better at interviews. Even better at interviews. Fantastic Jack the, interviewer. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, Jack and I have we've we've met him very briefly to do a, a post uh, a post match fifteen second Instagram slide. Actually, we? do you want to talk about that? Because at, it was one of the the weirdest evenings. We were at Molyneux having a great time, and and Wolves had just beaten. I think it might have been Liverpool. It was Liverpool, and we were waiting for an interview for forever. You know, we were we were quite low down the list because we don't have the full setup. It was like we just had our phones. We were doing an Instagram live. We did Instagram stories. That was you know, and then that were you, were you students at the time? No, we were. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was it was a serious gig oh, that two bob outfit bleacher yeah exactly report. i remember them yeah i remember them too but it, <laughs> it was one of those things where the interviews were taking forever and it was whoever we were supposed to be interviewing wasn't playing ball and i think it was someone like raul jimenez or or jota or someone that we were like oh we'll get a sexy name in and that'll that'll do that'll do bits for the for the br audience and they just weren't playing ball and connor cody walked past and was like you're right, lads. And we were just like, oh, yeah, we're waiting for an interview. And, you know, they haven't come out. And he just went, give me two minutes and I'll come out and do one for you. And he came out and we had, a, you know, a, a nice little chat with Connor Cody. And he saved the end of this because we were, it was late at Molyneux. It was getting to the point where the lights were being turned off in the rest of the stadium. We were like the only people left. And Connor Cody came out and, and, and spoke to us. And, and you know what? When, when you're having a, a bit of a, a tough day, uh, uh, trying to get things to go your way, a moment like that speaks a lot. And, and I, you know, so yeah, shouts out to what Connor a leader Cody. of what men nice, he was. What a nice lad. I'd have him at one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, best captain I, in the land. I tried not to let that influence things too much. That's why he's down at eight. But I have written great lad next to his name. So uh, clearly, I was along. He's the same a lovely level, but... ball player though. Like, yeah, I, I he's think a great passer. Thing. Yeah, he's, he's a, a great, great passer. Passable. And his his sense of positioning has developed so well at the centre of the back three. And, he, they, and Wolves are, are an extremely solid unit back to front. Tactical discipline, sure, but the players have to be good. And, and Cody's has come in to the Premier League and has played really well consistently pretty much every game um, for the last two years and has now made his bow for England, scored his first England goal. Like, it, it, it's great for him. But just above him in seventh is Seamus Coleman, who I think has really... I think if, if Everton hadn't started the season so well, he'd be below Cody. But Coleman, I feel, has really, really upped his level um, in 2020, or at least at the start of this season. I've been really impressed with him. He looks... As fit as he did when back when he was Seamus Goldman, for example, was flying up and down the flank and scoring goals all the time. He looks it looks like he's covering just as much ground. He's having just as much of an impact. You know, James Rodriguez is not a passenger off the ball, but he doesn't obviously. He, they want to save his creative talents for on the ball stuff. Coleman has to do all of his work for him, and he's doing a really good job. Yeah. He's um, a wonderful player. We're just talking about players that talked to us once on trips. Um, I once <laughs> melted when Seamus Coleman said "howia" to me, which was uh, which was nice. Um, but yeah, though, no, I think I this is the video. thing. If you had this, if you had this list at the end of last year, you would have probably had Coleman a fair bit lower. You know, I think that we were all aware of how good Jamie Coleman was during his prime years but it did look like the decline was starting to come away and we, we saw you know Sidibe was brought in to try and challenge him that that experiment didn't work out at all but you know you you started to think that maybe Everton are looking for a long-term right back to replace Seamus Coleman and actually he's just keeps getting better at the moment and I think that in itself is testament to one how good a player he is but two you know how this kind of re reformation under uh, Carlo Ancelotti has has started to kick him on in his game and I think he's more than justified in a spot here because because of what he's become. I think Coleman, end of last season, Coleman would have been as many as six or seven places further down. I think he might have even been below Ben Mee. Uh, so yeah, I think that season. would have been reasonable think, as well. Yeah, yeah. So it's a hell of a jump. Maybe I'm being too reactionary. I don't know. <laughs> no, um, I don't think so. I think I think this is a good spot. For Dean, Shady is this Coleman. fair? Because obviously um, Jack and I, uh, to differing degrees, Irish descent, soft spot for Seamus yeah. Coleman. I'm kind of studying the tiers as well right now, and I think that this has definitely got a nice pattern to it. When you look at the bottom five so far, Morgan, Billy Sharp, Jake Livermore, Mark Noble and Tom Kearney, they do really look like peasants already compared to the tier that we're now on of Ward Prowse, Dunk, Cody and Coleman. Like We're only in 10 to 7 there. So, yeah, I think Coleman is a really fair shout. Um, it's been quite impressive, really, that he has managed to get back to this standard because sometimes it is hard to lift yourself again. 
um, but obviously been helped by Ancelotti's impact and the way that he's using his his squad. So um, yeah, sounds good to me, mate. Give yeah. Stephen Kenny a headache as well because now he has two flying right backs again, you know, competing for the same spot in the Ireland side, and mm-hmm. and and ultimately it's the only position, a bit like England actually, where uh, or Ireland have any depth is at right back. Mm, yeah, it's it's so for a while it looked like Seamus Coleman was going to slot in at right centre back at a back three, wasn't it? Because he's he'd he he his his level dropped and it felt like that was the natural natural thing to do. But now maybe I guess this has kind of changed things a little bit. Yeah, yeah, we uh, we have the same problem again. Good stuff. Well, well we've put Carl Walker at right centre back and fixed it, mate. So uh, now we've only got to pick between the other nine thousand yeah. right backs. Yeah, but Reece James the... can play centre mid. Trent can play right wing. Oh, Trent can play centre mid as well. Tarek Lamptey can play right wing. It's it's all good. I think. I think it's yeah. all good for England. You've just okay. got to make sure you can fit as many in as possible. Well, speaking of right backs, there is there is another one on the list here coming in. So it's Cesar Azpilicueta up next. Um, I'd say he's probably, as a player, probably about 90% of what he was a couple of years ago. And that might be to do with the fact that ultimately he may, he may actually have just found his best role on the right of a, of a back three as a right centre back because he was he was brilliant uh, in that position. I'd argue actually maybe his second best ever season was at left back. And I'm just starting to wonder if Azpilicueta's had it wrong all along. <laughs> you were never a right back, lads. You were everything but. But Azpilicueta's a is a very, very good player and has been for a long time. He's uber consistent, can play several different positions. He is a proper captain as well. He is one of those ones on this list that, mm. that very clearly leads and very clearly has a, quite a big impact on his teammates uh, vocally in terms of positioning and organising. But he's also naturally, he's a Spanish international of however many caps. Like he's, 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 he's top order here. Yeah, I think this yeah. is a little bit generous. I'm going to be honest. Do you think? Well, yeah. I think it's harsh, if anything. Do you, do you think, see, do you, think I you should think... go below Coleman? I think you should go below Cody. Um, I think that you, you look at how much Cesar Azpilicueta has featured this season, and I think that speaks for itself. And look, the emergence of Reese James has obviously been a key part of that. And the fact that, you know, Chelsea now have a flying right back of their own to, to kind of throw into that position. But I just think that the fact that Azpilicueta is now playing probably 50% of games rather than, you know, up 60, 70 yeah. means you can't have him in front of regular starters like Cody and like, and like Coleman, um, you know, it, it, I think he's probably still just about a better player than Lewis Dunk, but ultimately I don't think you can have someone who play is playing a bit part role this high on the table. I can actually pinpoint it, the moment that Asby's career took a downturn. It was about probably about a year ago now, maybe a bit longer. I thought you could pinpoint it. Well, I'm going to pinpoint the game. Sheffield United, home. He won an award called Melon of the Week. <laughs> I think it was like September, October. Like. Um, and I, he had an absolute mare. And I was like, oh, yeah, he's dropping off now. He, he is dropping. And, and that is a fair point, actually. He has, in the last year or so, definitely, it's been noticeable that Aspie isn't at that same level anymore. But he is an unbelievable captain. Like, I, yeah, even yeah, now you see him... After that Man United game the other day, they, they, um, there was an interview with him on Sky Sports and he spoke brilliantly, like even about the, you know, Maguire's um, wrestling move on him. Um, his cuddle. Yeah, his cuddle, yeah, <laughs> Dylan called it. And just his his general presence and the way that he sticks up for the team, the way that he'll dig people out when he needs to. He's a brilliant captain, Aspilicueta. Um, but yeah, I, I think... That, that's the right tier for him, certainly, 6 to 10. I don't know if 6 is necessarily the, the exact spot. And now that I think about it more and in terms of the drop-off, he probably doesn't deserve the top five. No, I mean, look, I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I'd say he is about 90% of what he was, but still still 90% of the Cesar Azpilicueta. Oh, yeah, I still, no, agree. Still, uh, still a very good prime, footballer. Aspia's prime was wonderful, wonderful yeah, footballer. But very good. I just think that it's harsh to have someone in here who's playing a bit part role. Yeah, I just the, the standard is going to be different, isn't it, at Chelsea compared to uh, compared to Brighton? Um, I think Cesar Azpilicueta would start every game for Brighton. <laughs> so, do you so, ahead of Tarek Lamptey? No, ahead of Joel Veltman. <laughs> so uh, I don't think that's 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 necessarily the fairest way of doing it. But that's fine. We're in the right tier, and coming in just above him, and we're getting into the actual names now. I can't believe it's taken us this long to get to like genuinely like key Premier League performers because. At the, to- at the top end, I mean. So I'm going to put Jordan Henderson in next. I think this is harsh, but go on. 
I mean, I know you think it's harsh, but you know we always we always disagree on Jordan Henderson. And again, he's probably the epitome of the emotional importance of a captain and the presence. And I think he's a very good player. I don't think he's quite as good as a couple of the others just above him because I think he's yeah yeah I say yeah I think that's I think that's probably where I'd put it. And I, I always struggle to talk about Jordan Henderson because I know that I underrate him compared to everybody else, but I do just think he's like very functional. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. That your point, the point you're trying to get, I think, is that his emotional capacity is is far greater than his actual technical capacity. But in the fact that it brings everyone else up a level, makes it worth more to a team. But on a purely technical standpoint or purely footballing standpoint, this is where you've got him. I, I get it. I just think he, because of the fact that he has become that figure, his technical ability is now underrated because he is an incredibly good passer of the ball. He is a lovely engine in midfield and he does all the things well like that you need from someone in his position. He shuttles, he's versatile, he allows you and he can play out wide. He's done lots of different things in, in his career that show just how versatile a footballer he is. And look, it, you haven't put four, three, two and one in here yet. So you, I might end up turning around and saying you're completely right. Jordan Henderson isn't a better player than the four people ahead of him. But I will I'll be surprised if I do. Yeah. Okay, well, I think it's that reliability as well, isn't it, with Henderson? Like, and recently, when you've seen games where Liverpool struggled and Henderson wasn't in there, you suddenly do start to realise what an important asset he is. And I don't think it's just because he shouts at people and tells them where to stand and g people up. <laughs> I do think that he has this brilliant positional sense as well. And I think that um, his reading of the game is probably one of the things that's really underrated. Okay, let's put this to the test then, because we've got a couple more here, and we'll have to, and we'll see how we feel. But uh, in just above Jordan Henderson is Jack Grealish. So, Grealish fever has set in, boys. Everybody loves him. Yeah, uh, do you think such do you, different do you, do players? Think... It is hard to judge. Well, I mean, there's 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 me trying to figure hard. out, you know, oh, who's better out of Liam Cooper and Tom Kearney? Who's better out of like yeah, James no, Prowse? And I think and this Bruce is like... low. You think this is low for Grealish? Yeah. There aren't that many spaces left, dude. <laughs> no, I know. He's not the I, best I thought, in the I league. thought Grealish, not best captain in the league, but best best technical, potentially. I, I think that there is... I, I'm intrigued as to where you go here. You just because... fancy him. I mean, it doesn't count. You can't just pick the player you fancy and say that you love him. <laughs> I, I can't even knock it, can I? Like, I can't even say it. Like, there's a reason that my <laughs> hair is dyed. behind you of Jack Grealish. And just there's a, a reason my hair is dyed blonde these days. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. look, everybody, everybody loves Grealish, and everybody's seen it over the course of the start of this season, certainly, and 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 end of end of last season during lockdown. Just how influential he is! Like he's he is a, a sensational player now. There's no there's no two ways about it. So, again, this is one of these really difficult comparisons because coming in just above him, I've put Hugo Lloris, and this is the really hard bit because comparing goalkeepers who, according to Dean Jones, aren't real footballers mm-hmm. with real footballers is a genuinely really difficult task. And I have my qualms with, with Hugo Lloris. Like, I think he's a bit too error-prone and his kicking sucks. But he's a World Cup winner and he's probably a top 15 world football goalkeeper. And so trying to figure out where he went in this list and the minutiae was quite difficult to decide. But I think he has to be like top three. Uh, it's just a question of whether or not he can go in above Grealish or Henderson. And it's just so difficult because he's a goalkeeper. Not for yeah. me, Clive. Um, it is one of those ones, and I completely appreciate the difficulty of this and then the nature of this being so hard to compare. But I think Hugo Lloris is a two-time Melon of the Week winner. And that in <laughs> itself is a worry because, you know, you do... And, and yes, goalkeepers are error-prone. And yes, he has... Lloris has had a fantastic start to this season, I think, in terms of where he's at. I mean, yes, you can look at those goals conceded to West Ham, but I don't think any of them are particularly Lloris's fault. And Should I, have I saved the Lanzini one. He's been... Yeah, oh yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> and he's been, you know, crucial. And I think he is a, he's a very, very important player in that Tottenham dressing room. But I'd have him fifth. I'd have him fifth. I'd have him below Henderson and below Grealish. Okay. Did he did he not get Man of the Week once because he broke his own arm falling over? Is yes. that was that I mean that was, that's, that's error prone. Enough. That is silly. <laughs> I think that's unlucky. That it put that stupid. put Tottenham in a very difficult position that they struggled to get out of and, and he only had himself to blame as far as he I'm did. concerned. Um yeah, all right, cool. Who's above him then? There's two yeah, left. Let's see who's above him first. So I've gone for so in above Hugo Lloris is Pierre Emerick Abamyang. Yeah. Uh take that. N- not his season so far. But obviously an exceptional player, one of the world's best forwards. And you presume at some point 
they're going to turn the corner. They're going to start creating the chances that see him score those goals again. For a long, long time, I was not much of an Aubameyang believer. You guys will probably remember that. I wasn't really much of a fan of him for a long time. But just the consistency with which he's found the back of the net and the fact that I start to really gain respect for a player when they do the same thing for 10 years and you still can't stop them. And it's that Arjen Robin complex. It's, it's, it's that, you know what he's going to do. You know what Aubameyang's going to do all the time. He's, like, he's a very predictable player. doesn't mean anyone can really stop him. And um, the t- t- time proves that you need to show those players respect. And so begrudgingly, I have started to show Aubameyang respect. Basically, I was begrudgingly. wrong. Begrudgingly. Well, I was, it, means, it means I have to admit I was wrong. Oh, okay, yeah, fair enough. I, don't, I mean, I don't, it's something you're very bad at. I don't like doing that at all. Yeah, no, I think this is fair enough, which leaves Kevin De Bruyne, right? Well, Kevin De Bruyne is not Man City captain. And it's actually, I've left, I've, I've left this with a wild card option because I want you to help me again, just like last week. The wild card option that we need to slot into this ranking of 1 to 19 at the moment is Fernandinho, who is officially Manchester City captain, according, actually? according to Wikipedia. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So how do you judge this one? Because I still, I, I, cannot, I cannot confidently tell you what, how good I think Fernandinho is right now. Mostly because well, he plays in all sorts of different positions and he gets used in such various different ways. He gets 45 minutes here, 45 minutes there. You start this one off after 60. I don't know what to do with this boy, so I've wildcarded it and I'm going to throw it to you. He's not number one, that's for sure. No, I don't um, think he's one, two, or three. I don't think I've, he goes in above Henderson. There's a chance yeah. he goes in above Aspilicueta. Yeah, he's probably five, to be honest, in my, in my view, which means Aubameyang is going to be the most talented captain in the Premier League, and I think that that's fair. Um, if this was Kevin De Bruyne, as um, many people would have assumed it will be, because they probably I all did thought like it Jack. was. They all thought, and to be honest, I did it first. A minute ago, I was just thinking about all the captains, and I was. I like, think part of it was that I just KDB. assumed because he was number one, it was KDB, <laughs> right? Well, yeah, is, when he wasn't, is, I was just, uh, I was, uh, I was pulling the wool over your eyes. Yeah, fair play. You've. Uh, well, What's really the thing with club it. captains and team captains, isn't it? As well, that it, this is quite often like managers will appoint a vice captain, as is the case with De Bruyne, and knowing that they're going to be the ones hopefully spending more time on the pitch. I mean, De Bruyne, that's debatable at the moment because of his injuries. We don't know how much time he'll spend on the pitch. But anyway, back to Fernandinho. I think, look, he's not not going above Aubameyang. He's not going above Lloris. He's not going above Grealish or Henderson. But then you look at that, that tier below and he is better than all of those. So I'm going to say that Fernandinho is number five. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to make the same argument that I'm making with Cesar Spilicueta. I think that we don't see as much Fernandinho as, as we perhaps should these days. And and look, I think he still has a place and there's a reason that Pep obviously keeps bringing him into games and keeps bringing him on because he adds that level of security and adds that level of, you know, calm to, to this City team. But again, I can't put a bit part player in ahead of other players. Um, and I would have him above as Pilicueta, yes, but I would have the both of them lower down. Um, so I would probably have him in below Connor Cody and ahead of Lewis Dunk. All right, well, of the two, sort of switching this around in my document, what me and Dean agree on is much less work uh, in terms of shifting things around. So I'm going to go with what we say, but I respect your opinion, Jack. No, that's fine. What I'm going to do is draw up. When we when we put these on social, I'm going to make your 1 to 20, and I'm also going to make my 1 to 20 next to it. So we can, we can so have I've, a little look. I've done, I've done a couple, just a little change there. You've, you've absolutely sold me on... Uh, on Milivojevic and I've dropped him. Uh, I'm going to drop him into 17th. So it's Morgan 20, Sharp 19, Livermore 18 and then Milivojevic uh, 17, which means that Kearney is up to the lofty heights of 15th. Yeah, He's in the next big... tier. He's so, in the next tier, mate. He's, he's in the next tier. Yeah. He's up with, he's up with well. Liam Cooper. Fantastic. Because TC indeed, is yeah. better as a footballer than the rest of those mugs in the bottom five. So that is absolutely <laughs> valid. Okay. Well, Fernandinho's going in at fifth, Henderson fourth, Grealish three, Lloris two, and Aubameyang is on ability-wise still at the moment the best captain in the Premier League. Could we just, again, just talk about how you really have to go quite high up in this list, up to up to basically Connor Cody, or up to like ninth or tenth to be like, these are the really good players. It's, yeah. it, it shocked me. It genuinely shocked me that it would take that long to get to players that are like genuinely very, very good. Well, I think when it comes to a point that we're trying to make here that 
you know, captains are worth so much more than their technical ability, right? This is this is mm. what we're ultimately getting at here, that yes, there are captains. And actually, I think you can see this. And, and Tom Kenny is actually a very good example here, that Fulham have put in a captain who is based on his footballing ability. At, at the club, Tom Kenny is a top five footballer, no doubt. And, and up to this year was probably Fulham's first or second best player. You know, behind maybe Alexander Mitrovic, Tom Kearney has, is Fulham's most talented player and has been for, for quite some time. But that doesn't always make a good captain. And I think you look higher up this list and you look at, you know, players like Azpilicueta, you look at, but even, even at the bottom, you look at what Mark Noble brings to West Ham. You look at what Billy Sharp brings to Sheffield United. You look at even the likes of Wes Morgan, who's now a symbolic figure, basically. But we talked about this with Azpilicueta in that what they bring is so much more than what they bring on the pitch. And, mm. and ultimately when you're picking a captain and people always say that, do we overstate the ability, you know, the importance of the armband, do we overstate the importance of what a club captain does? And I think the answer is no. And I think in Azpilicueta and the likes of Connor Cody and players like that, you see just what they bring on an on the, off the pitch level as well as on it. And, and, and ultimately I think that, that that counts for quite a lot and we should never forget that, you know, while we're ranking these players on ability, that's knows knows like nothing at all on them and their ability as captains. Um, this is a, a ranking which was supposed to ignite some debate, and 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 by God it has. Um, but <laughs> but in terms of actually what they bring as captains, this is no kind of no on on what they are. It's just yeah. a, it's just what they bring on the pitch at this point. Well, Absolutely. what a very productive discussion, lads. We learned a lot, didn't we today? We did. We learned my... who the captain of Man City was. We learned <laughs> <laughs> here at the Ranks FC farm. We've had a lovely day of learning. Yeah, it has been learning. It's been it's been very fun. And uh, after the break, we've got a little bit more for, for you today. We'll see you in a bit. Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. Welcome back to Ranks FC, where it's time for my favourite part of the show. Dean, what you got? It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is Hertha Berlin defender Deovizio Seifalk. Easy, Easy for me for you to, to say. say. <laughs> <laughs> Took a lot of practice, that one. There's no so this way lad, you got that right. No way. It is right. I actually got it checked out by um, a German expert before coming on. He, he spelled it out for me phonetically. It was brilliant. Say anyway. it again. Deovizio Seifalk. Fantastic. I mean, what's he done? Dutch lad. Anyway, so this Dutch lad's brought on at half time against Leipzig at the weekend. Score was 1 1. Comes on at the back. He's booked on 46 minutes for a foul on Christopher and Konku. Not a great start. Three minutes later, fouls him again, red card. He's only been on the pitch five minutes. Come on to shore things up. Back, back in the dressing room. What a melon. A Leipzig 1 2 1. But um, not that bad considering really how it could have gone. But clearly Nkonku, he probably brought on to do a job on him and that was not the job that they had in mind. Um, bit harsh. The first one was like a clumsy tackle, catches him on the ankle. The second one, he just Nkonku just kind of gets away from him, like pulls his shirt and Nkonku kind of dives and he's down. But it's going to happen. And yeah, poor old Seifalk just looks a bit bewildered and embarrassed and... Um, oh. Oh no! I'm a melon. I'm a melon. <laughs> that, is, that is bad. I mean, there five was five minutes. Five minutes. I mean, there was an anti-melon in that regard, which is quite cool. Um, I don't know how many of you watched Hellas versus Juventus. I know Dean, you probably did, seeing as you're on the Juventus payroll. Um, but Andrea Favilli subbed on in the 55th minute, scored a goal in the 60th, injured himself in the process, subbed off in the 62nd. Seven <laughs> minutes, one goal. He came, he saw, he conquered, he fucked off. Amazing. Like, it, it was just <laughs> incredible. Like, Amazing. absolutely, what a performance. That guy, absolute cherry of the week. He, he gets, he's, um, that was exceptional. Um, which leaves us with one thing left to do. <laughs> the gibberish alarm we've had complaints about that already i know i know i'm uh i'm quite pleased that we've had complaints if the, if the nonsense siren or the gibberish alarm now is not getting complaints it's not done right 
True, true. Yeah. Do you remember when we had Stu Holden make that horrendous noise and somebody sent us a picture of the um, the, the, the tea-stained shirt that they'd thrown their tea over as they listened to it? Yeah, I mean, and Shakira what... didn't. Shakira was on for a while. She didn't endear herself to too many ears, I don't think, with, with her no. nods and siren from the Super Bowl. No. So, yeah, the, the gibberish alarm is here to upset and uh, and cause chaos in, in the ranks. So, Sam, over to you. Yeah, okay, fine. Well, so last week, boys, last week I drove for the first time in six years. Uh, so I'm going to rank all of the different cars I hit along the way. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> 2014, I moved to London, sold my car. It has, if you take out one uh, one quad biking trip in Cyprus, I have not driven a vehicle for six years. So I thought I was honestly dreading this, but once I got once I got behind the wheel, once I got on the motorway, guys, I've missed it. I've really missed. I've really missed driving. It's I, I absolutely loved it. Maybe I'll hate it in in two months or something like that, but. I've decided to rank the three best things about driving. And these may seem obvious to those that drive nonstop. Uh, Dean, I know that you have to drive most days. Uh, Jack, have you got your license yet? No, no. Okay. Uh, if no. you're ranking the worst drivers in the rank squad, uh, I am number one because I yeah, can't drive. Not allowed to, legally <laughs> yeah. not allowed to drive. Um, but I was able to really enjoy like the simple parts of driving again, which may, which may have gone stale on people like Dean who drive every day. But for me, rediscovering them again was quite special. So the best things about driving. Number three. I get to visit petrol stations once again. It's not that I was banned, right? It's, a, it's just that, you know, there's not really much reason to go to a petrol station unless you're getting petrol. That's a gas station for those of you in Intrigued America. by the fact that what you would be banned from petrol stations for. Like, that, that, that's, <laughs> that's a topic in itself. <laughs> well, I'm telling you, I, I'm not banned, okay? I just didn't need to go. But I like I like going to petrol stations, and there are two reasons for this. And the first one is I really like the smell of petrol. <laughs> yeah, no, reasonable, absolutely reasonable. It's, it's not to like a dangerous degree. Like I don't just like sit around sniffing it at home and stuff. Um, but when you do when you do fill up your tank, um, you get a good whiff of it, and that is the good stuff, absolutely. Um, the other reason is I quite like the eat on the go lifestyle. Not I, I wouldn't like to live it, but like you know, if you're driving through lunch and you have to go and nip in and get a sandwich or something like. It's obviously not my favorite meal in the world, but I've never been let down by uh, a sandwich, a bottle of LucasAid and a bag of flame grilled steak flavored McCoys. That is like, that will never let you down. As good a meal deal, to be fair, mate. That's really? a good meal. You want a wrap, really, but that's a good meal deal. Yeah, I guess so. Maybe it might be easier to, to eat while driving. Not that I do that because that's illegal. But um, yeah, um, I, I quite like that. Like, And I was able to go into the mini mart. I was able to pick up my sandwich, pick up my LucasAid. I was like, yes, it's like 2014 all over again. One of my the favorite best thing years. is actually... You're gonna say coffee. Lockdown. Yeah, which got yeah, me I was about lockdown, to talk about this. You can't you couldn't get takeaway coffee in lockdown, but every time we had a call, I had a Costa cup, like a takeaway coffee cup. And people were like, where have you got that from? Petrol station. Still got the coffee machines in there. Still going. <laughs> Dean's coffee addiction fed by the petrol, the lads at BP. I went into my overdraft during lockdown. It was because of those Costa coffees. <laughs> <laughs> all right sam what's in it too so in it too is singing in the car and i'm not a very good singer so no, no. there are not there are not many scenarios in fact there are zero scenarios over the last six years that i've been able to sing and i do mean this at the top of my lungs you know full belt missing every single note without people hearing me that could be the neighbors it could be rach i wouldn't even put the cats through it guys but in the car on the motorway not a soul on earth can hear me Missing every note, missing every key, getting the odd word wrong. So the odd word yeah. wrong, almost every yeah. word wrong. Of as Oasis blares out of my portable speaker because the car I drive doesn't have a sound system because it's that old. Wrong key, wrong inflection, missed that bit. Doesn't matter. And on Saturday, I think I recorded. I have no evidence for this, but I think I recorded the happiest journey anyone's ever taken on the M25. Yeah, that's valid. There is no method of of man measuring it, obviously, but uh, but it is nice. Uh, you are lying though. There has been one incident in which you have sang your lungs out in the last six years. And I know because I was there. Um, and that was when we went to a karaoke bar in New York. Apart from, <laughs> apart from that, apart from that, yeah, fine, whatever. Okay, it's, we'll, we'll gloss over and I, and I can And I can guarantee you that it wasn't the happiest night of my life when, uh, <laughs> when Sam was belting out Oasis at the top of his lungs. I've actually, to be fair, I've actually done that with, with uh, our old graphic designer, Matthias, as well, uh, in a karaoke bar in london so i'm actually a bit like i'm lying a bit but okay i've done it shamelessly this time fine oh, done without other people to bother i respect it yeah and so in at number one obviously the, the, the ranking the third and the second thing they're a little bit silly a little bit trivial but this what this one's the big one it's 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 the freedom 
the freedom of having a car is unbelievable. I've been relying on public transport for six years and no one really wants to do that. You get used to it, but you find ways to fill the time. Many countries, you can't rely on the public transport system. Like I doubt any Americans can do it. That's probably why they're presented a Chevrolet truck at age 12, because you can't go anywhere on the train. But, you know, not an option for most people. I've managed to do it. But like, it's the simple things, like not just like, oh, I can go anywhere I want, whenever I want. It's also like, I don't have to think about what I can fit in a suitcase. I can throw whatever I want in a car, as long as a car can take it, and I'm good. And at the same time, I get to sing as loudly as I can to Oasis, and I can buy all the sandwiches I want from a petrol station. It's brilliant. Happy boy. One happy boy. Now that I'm mobile, I've booked golf lessons because I want to go and hit the range when you two have annoyed me so much that mm. I have to go and hit a few balls. Yeah, no, I think that's reasonable. I, I think golf is a, an important one. Like I've I've spent the last couple of years, luckily my brother drives, but I have spent the last couple of years sort of wandering around buses with with a set of golf clubs. And it, it is quite tricky. I will I will give you that for free. It's not it's not the most ideal, you know, situation in the world. But I will say public transport is my friend and has been for as long as I can remember, obviously I grew up in central London. So public transport has always kind of been on my doorstep. And I hate the idea that I can, I could drive somewhere and then I couldn't have a few beers, which is, which is bad. And also like, I like the fact that I can sit on my phone and like tweet, like post Instagrams, do all poems. these bits and bobs. You can't, I write a lot of, oh, I used to write every single poem on the tube on the way to work. That was my poem space. That was, that was where I, you know, had these big ideas and and ultimately, you know, it, not driving, you can't be sitting there on your phone writing poems. And I think this is why I've never passed my driving test. No, that's, that's not the why. reason. That's not why. I, I, no, I, there's still a place for public transport and the tube system is incredible. It's just that it's just the um, if you have to take Southern Rail anywhere down to the south of England, it's basically 50 50 whether or not they're going to run the train in the first place. So mm. it's on it's when you start to run on those systems and like Dean has to get the train with, you know, and uh, Dean has to get a big train. That's a scary train, to be fair. Yeah. So it, yeah. it's not reliable, is it? It's um, it can cause you headaches. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're absolutely yeah, right. No, well, good. that was a good gibberish, Sam. I enjoyed myself very much. And that's pretty much it from us this week. Um, thank you very much for listening as ever. And please do keep recommending Ranks FC to your friends, your relations, to anyone who really likes football and this kind of nonsense at the end as well. All that's left for me to do really is say thank you very much, Mr. Sam Tsai. Yeah, cheers, buddy. Thank you very much, Mr. Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. So our patrons will see you on Friday for our Champions League roundup and our weekend spotlight looking at the big games and players that you need to be watching. For those of you not over on Patreon, I mean, come and join us. It's a whole load of fun. Uh, and if not, we'll see you next week. Take care, Rank Squad. Peace. Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. 